by way of introduction, I was born up in Cleveland, uh, grew up there until uh, I was about five, six years old. We moved to the biggest suburb in town, uh, just outside of town, uh, Parma, and I lived there, grew up there. My mom and dad had a home there. Uh, mom was an accountant. <clears throat> dad worked in a chemical factory for almost 40 years up on the west side of Cleveland. The uh, Lord's taking him home to be with him now. Uh, but I sensed the Lord's call to ministry when I was young. I was 14 years old, and I've wrestled with God for several years. I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Lord, there's got to be somebody better. Lord, there's got to be somebody else. And he just kept saying, no, I want you. He's had to keep reorienting my heart and my mind to ministry over the years and had the opportunity to uh, pastor a church, small church in southern Ohio, and had an opportunity to uh, now be at Stowe for the last several years. And I kind of am one of them bridge guys. So we've transitioned lead pastors during my time uh, that I've been there. And I just kind of seem to help people get from one place to another on the journey. That's kind of where the Lord has for us today. And that's what he just keeps uh, doing. And I'll share a little bit more of uh, some of the things the Lord's been doing in my life as we preach today. We're going to be in the book of James today. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is going to be our text for today. We're going to be looking at verse 13 down through verse 18. And if I had a question to ask all of us today from the Word of God, it would be this. What does wisdom look like? What does wisdom look like? Beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as we today look at this idea of wisdom and what does wisdom look like, I went to the dictionary for a definition on wisdom. Wisdom is described as this, the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. And then it had in parentheses the word insight. I like that, insight. Another definition for wisdom is the idea of good sense. In the, word, in the parentheses was the word judgment. Thought, okay, that's good too. Wisdom is also defined as a generally accepted belief. Wisdom is also defined as accumulated philosophical 
or scientific learning. Parentheses, knowledge. So insight, judgment, and knowledge. Wisdom is also a definition is the teachings of the ancient wise men. I think we've got a lot of that church right here in the Word of God. The teachings of the ancient wise men. Wisdom is one of those things that is valued, but sometimes it's hard to define. Really hard to define. It's one of those traits or those characteristics that you know it when you see it. Take a moment and think about somebody maybe that has imparted wisdom for you along the way. When I stop and I think for a second, there's a few folks that come to mind I think of that just demonstrated wisdom. Whenever I was in a jam or whenever I had a problem, I knew I could go talk to them. And they just always had a good word for me, a different perspective for me. Uh, my dad's went on home to be with the Lord, but I remember when I was pastoring down in southern Ohio, a little town called Circleville, about 13,000 people, and we had, I'd come home Friday night, stay there Saturday, and I'd get up, dad'd be reading the Bible, he'd have a cup of coffee, we'd sit at the dining room table, he'd tell me, what's going on at church? Talk to me about it. Talk to me about what's going on at church. I'd tell him the good, I'd tell him the bad. He'd do a whole lot more listening than he would talking. But then he would always say something that always just seemed to speak and get right to the heart of the matter. And I'm sure that when you think of your life, you can think of folks like that as well. Maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, somebody, a teacher, maybe somebody just along the way came and spoke wisdom into you. So we've got a definition of wisdom. And hopefully you have somebody in your mind that you can think of that demonstrates Wisdom. Now, as we dive into the scripture today from the book of James, we're going to notice a contrast of what defines wisdom. Because not everybody looks at wisdom in the same way. And James even says it here in the Word of God. He says that there are two types of wisdom that we'll see as we go down through this life. Because there is a worldly wisdom. But then there is a wisdom from the Lord. So what does the wisdom of the world look like? You know, we are living in this world, and it's governed by a system. It's ran and it's led by a system. And so James says in verses 14, 15, and 16, and we'll read those again, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not a wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So we see here that the wisdom of the world has two things inside of it. We see it from the scripture here. The first of these is bitter jealousy. The second of these is selfish ambition. And so what would bitter jealousy look like? Well, as I did some digging and I did some research on that this past week, it is a piercing type of zeal. For somebody to be bitterly jealous about something, they are actually zealous about it. They're passionate about it. It's important to them. 
But a bitter jealousy and what it is that they are passionate about is not a good thing. It's not a positive thing for them to engage in, to be participating in. The wisdom of the world comes through the eyes of an individual and what an individual sees as best. Someone who is looking and leading and living with the wisdom of the world considers what's best for them in a situation. Now, it may turn out that that helps some other folks, but in reality, they are looking for what it is that's going to help them from a human perspective. They're trying to see what's going to help them from a human purpose. They're not taking into account the counsel of God. They're not taking into account the Word of God. They're not actively going and seeking the Lord's face in prayer about what decisions that they need to make, about the choices that they have in their lives, and what judgment or what uh, example the Lord may want from them. When you think about zeal and you think about passion, when you, when you have it focused in the right way, these can be some wonderful characteristics to have. If somebody is passionate about something, if they're zealous for it, they're invested in it. They're engaged in it. They want to see it go right. They want to see it do well. And so when it is on the right track and when it's on the right path and when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, then it begins to move. And we see all of the important things in life begin to get done because somebody has a zeal, they have a passion to do it, and it's channeled the right way. But bitter jealousy is not that. It is a zeal and it is a desire, an investment to do something that is outside of God's counsel. It's wanting what you want for the sake of how you want it. It's wanting it in a way that is not what God would have for us. Bitter jealousy. Our priorities are out of alignment when we are bitterly jealous. And there is so much... So many examples that I could use to describe that. Jealousy and envy and strife, you see them listed in the New Testament. Paul lists them all the time. He, he groups these same characteristics over and over and over again. Jealousy, envy, strife, the concept of coveting, the concept of wanting what you don't have. And we all do that. We all do that. When you think about your life, when you think about where you've been, what you've had the opportunity to do and experience. For some of us, there's always something that somebody else has. We said, man, I want that. I want that more than, than anything else. And it's different for different people. Sometimes it's a relationship that's went bad and you want to see it go well. Sometimes you just see some uh, something that you like and you just think, man, I want that. I want that more than uh then I want a whole lot of other things in life. That jealousy just creeps up. It creeps in. And so our, when our priorities are out of alignment, we will not be led by the Lord as we should. We'll be following in that wisdom of the world. But Jesus mentions not only bitter jealousy, but he mentions another characteristic as well in verse 14. Talks about the idea of selfish ambition says they have selfish ambition in their hearts selfish ambition in their hearts wisdom looks completely different when selfish ambition is driving the car 
because you're going to end up at a whole different location than what you started out for when selfish ambition is driving the vehicle. You have a preferred future in mind. You have a preferred destination when selfish ambition is driving the car. And you may say, oh, well, I don't have any ambition. I don't have things that I want to see or get done. Even as the people of God, we can fall prey to selfish ambition. Think about it. A lot of different ways. I'm going to throw myself under the bus today. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of a story of the Lord doing this in my life and revealing this in my life. So after I surrendered to the Lord to go into ministry, I started preaching and I started getting a little bit more comfortable. I don't know, it's our fourth or fifth time I preached somewhere. And one of my buddies had went with me and I was young. I was 17, 18 years old. So we're driving back from the church. And I looked at my buddy and I said, you know, I'm starting to really like this. And he said, well, that's good. Since the Lord called you to do it, it's a good thing that you would like it and that you would enjoy doing it. But I started getting some compliments along the way. And I started to then develop some expectations that I wanted to have in my life. I saw what other people were doing in their ministries. And I saw what they had. And, and I wanted to have that. You say, what the pastor wants to have some things too that the other pastors have? Yeah, we're human beings. Yeah. I look at somebody else and I'd say, man, how come they're successful with this? How come they're doing that? I want that too. Now, if you'd have told me and asked me, I'd have said, oh, no, I want it for the right reasons. You know, I want it because that's what the Lord would want. But no, in reality, I wanted it because that's what I wanted. God allowed me to pastor a church at age 21. Who does that? Who does that? Only the Lord. The Lord did. The Lord sent me down there, and I was able to minister to those folks and the church was small and they were having some issues. The morning that I went to resign, they were coming to tell me that they felt led to shut the doors. I went, okay, this is the Lord's, the Lord has brought us together here. And so that ministry closed. We stayed with them all the way to the end. And then I went home to inner city Cleveland and I started working with a mentor of mine. I was his youth pastor and we served up there for a few years. He resigns. We decide it's time to move on, and uh, I ended up back at the home church where I'd grown up in, and during this time, I'd went to school to get some additional training, so I have a bachelor's degree, I go get a master's in divinity, I think, okay, now I'm starting to move, now I got some, I got some things about me, I got not only some experience, but I got some education, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to just keep moving forward, and the Lord opened some doors for what I thought were some things, ended up serving as a hospice chaplain for a while, and then I decided somewhere along the way uh, that I wanted to finish, get a Ph.D. and teach somewhere. But you notice what keeps coming up here? I, 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 all of that. I had an issue at the church. I moved out. I resigned. I'm full-time and working in a hospice. I got a master's degree, and I was about 31 at that time. Now I remember a night specifically. So I'd been doing ministry for a long time. Well, the way I thought I had was supposed to be doing it. 
about 14 years at that point. And we had a little house up in Parma, and when I was taking out the trash, our trash always came on a Tuesday. This was a Monday night. I'm running cans down to the end of the road. It's a summer night. It's about 75, 80 degrees outside. It's, it's hot, but it's comfortable. So I'm outside for a minute, and I'm just looking. I'm taking the trash down the road. Clear sky that night. And I looked up at God, and I asked God a question. Sometimes be careful when you ask God the questions that you ask God. Because you won't like the answers. And the Lord may use those questions to do some things in your life that you never thought would happen. So I was 31 years old. I looked up at the sky and I looked at the Lord. And I said, is this all I get to do in ministry? Wrong question to ask. Wrong question to ask. I was arrogant. I was angry. I was young. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I had selfish ambition. I had selfish ambition. So over the next 18 months, the Lord worked out a series of events to begin to humble me. He's good about that. I was working so much of the hospice job I was at, I essentially had a nervous breakdown. I had to be on call. I had to I had to go in, work extra hours, even if I was out all night with families. The expectation was I was going to be in the office when they opened at 8 a.m., work a full day. So sometimes I was working, I don't know, 60, 70 hours a week. We had three little kids. Our fourth son was born. And so I decided I wanted to get away. I wanted to get away. The Lord for... Uh, uh, my house foreclosed on. I had to go file bankruptcy. A couple of bad financial choices came to light that I had made years before. But God had to do this on purpose. I'll never forget walking to the bankruptcy court up in Cuyahoga County. It's about as low as I'd ever been. I felt like I'd failed God. I felt like I'd failed my family. I felt like a failure just in every possible way. I'd also argue that at this point, Jesus was my Savior, but I don't even know if Jesus was my Lord, if I'm going to be honest, because I'd wanted things on my own way, I wanted things on my own time schedule, and I wanted to negotiate with God, and that had been my M.O. for years. I want you to do this. Okay, well, can I do it, but can I do it like this? It don't work that way with God, church. You negotiate with God, you will lose every time. Every time you will lose. So I was overstressed, overworked, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to school. So I started looking at schools. I told my wife, I said, we can go to one of three places. I said, where do you want to go? I said, we can go to San Diego, California. We can go to Wheaton, Illinois. We can go to Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I really hope she picks Virginia Beach, Virginia. It sounds warm, and it's by the beach. It's got beach in the name, so it can't be bad. So we ended up down near Virginia Beach. I applied for a hospice job. First job I get, or first job I apply for, I get. I think, oh, okay, God's in this. He'd want me to move down here, paying me more money than what I made up in Cleveland by significant amount. 
Little did I know that the cost of living down there was so high that everything, every dollar I made, I needed, I needed two more. I had one coming, more coming in. I had two more going out. Didn't know that. So the time came to move. I hadn't looked at the school, but the job had worked out. We found a condo, paid too much for it. And I thought, okay, we're living down by the beach. There was about a 90-minute space between where I worked and where our condo was. I decided I wanted to live closer to the school, so I was about 10 minutes from the school. I was about an hour and a half away from where the office was for the hospice, but I figured that was okay because uh, I needed to be close to the school. That was my thought. So we move all of our stuff down there, and my wife says, are you finally going to go look at this school? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to go look at the school. We took a tour of the school. I hated it. So here I am on a one-year lease, done move my family down to Virginia. I get up, it's morning number three that we're there. And I tell my wife, I said, well, I got something I need to talk to you about. She says, what's that? I said, I don't want to go to school here. She turned about as white as a ghost, as well she should. The fact that we're even still married today after all, of, after all of this is only by the grace of God. Yeah. Every time I tell the story, the more I'm impressed with my wife. <laughs> okay, you don't want to go to school. We just signed a lease. We just moved all of our kids down here. What do you want to do now? And I said, I don't know. We've got a one-year lease. I got my house is foreclosed up in Ohio. I'm going through bankruptcy. I don't know. Let's just stay here. Let's see what happens. Okay. I had to stay. I had nowhere else to go. But what I did start having were those 90-minute commutes every day from the townhouse, my condo up to the office, where I said God had to humble me. The Lord and I began to talk in a way that I had never talked to him before. I was desperate then. Got to that point. You know where it gets to. When you've run out of options, we always say God's the first option until crisis comes. Until the things that really matter, matter. And then, he ends up becoming the last option. Over the next several months, I did a whole lot less talking and a whole lot more listening. I had three hours of silence every day back and forth for several months. The bankruptcy goes through. I'm driving up to work. I had to go to, I had to take a toll road to go to work. Well, they shut off my credit cards. I got nothing. And I go back home and I tell my wife they shut off the credit card. I can't I can't pay the tolls. And here's the deal. Rent's due in about 10 days. We got all four kids. We can do one of two things. We can either feed the kids or we can pay the rent. What do you want to do? So we went back home. I'd been talking to my old employer. And they said, yeah, we got a job for you if you want to come home. It's not the job that you had, but it's another job. You'll be working in the office for us. I thought, well, it's better than nothing. So the Lord humbled me so much that the job that I thought I was too good for 
a year earlier. He now has me come back and watching somebody else do. But I needed that. I needed that. I needed to see all of that. Thankfully, we moved in with family. The Lord did some things. Got me moving in the right direction. Got us moving in the right direction. Selfish ambition. I thought I wanted what I wanted. I thought I knew what I wanted. I had expectations, but they were all wrong. That, friends, is what selfish ambition will do to you. That's not wisdom from above. That's the world's wisdom. That's the world's wisdom. Thankfully, we started to listen. I should say I started to listen. And I can tell you how I got to Stow Alliance. That's another day for another time. But God's fingerprints were all over that as well. Selfish ambition can destroy any of us. I am so thankful that God used all of that. One of our staff members, uh, she and I were talking a couple weeks ago. She's complimenting me on some things, and I just said, if you'd have known me a decade ago, I said, the man that's standing before you now and the man that you would have saw a decade ago are two different men. That old guy's buried. That's what the Lord can do. I'm just thankful that he was patient and that he took the time and that he continued to work with me and that he continued to show me grace and mercy even when I didn't deserve it. And I can stand before you today now and say that I know him and that I love him and that I trust him. That's what I can stand and say today. Selfish ambition, verse 15 says, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Man, Satan loves to take things and hold them out there before us like they're something. When in reality, they're nothing. People that are exhausted, that are in the desert, will sometimes have hallucinations and they'll see things that they think that are there because they're looking for water. They're starving. They're thirsty. And it's what they see is, in reality, it's not a spring. It's not a pool of water. It's just a mirage. And that's how it is today. Satan keeps holding up what thinks and looks good. But in reality, it's just a mirage. There's nothing there to it. There's no substance. There's nothing. We see in our culture, we see in our society, how uh, he is uh, just holding up one mirage after another in front of our kids, in front of our families, in front of our neighborhoods and in our communities, wanting to tell them, look, this is the way you need to go. But in reality, there's nothing there. There's nothing there for them. It leaves them void. It leaves them empty. It leaves them unfulfilled. It leaves them lifeless and without hope. It leaves them destitute. The system that we're in, the structure that we're in, the society that we're in a long time ago looked at God and said, we don't need you. We don't want you. And what we're seeing today is the ramifications of that. A, a society that does not want to consider God in the decisions that it makes. 
does not want to consider God's thoughts or God's ways. They don't explore the teachings or the Word of God in order to know how to live, in order to know how to govern, to, in order to know how to lead. Completely devoid from it. Verse 16 is a summary of what worldly wisdom will get you to. He says there in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There will be disorder and every vile practice. What will worldly wisdom lead us to in the end, friends? It leads to chaos. It leads to absolute chaos. It leads to the world that we're living in today. It doesn't take too long. You don't have to go too far down the road to find disorder. And it doesn't take you too long to go down the road and to find something that is just absolutely vile, absolutely defaming, absolutely disgusting. It's there. Jealousy and ambition look okay on the surface, but in the end, that's where it leads us to. Leads us to a society, leads us to a culture, leads us to a community that is full of disorder and full of vile actions, vile practices. But thankfully, that's not the type of wisdom that we have to follow. That's not the only wisdom option that's out there for us. Because we see the contrast to that in the other verses of the passage. James starts out with a rhetorical question. Look with me in verse 13. Starts out with a rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? And he then moves into an example of what wisdom is going to look like. By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, that word meekness is not a common word. It's not a word that we use to describe someone or something often. So what meekness is, it's a synonym, a, a, a similar word for meekness would be the concept of gentleness. Gentleness. Wisdom is gentle. When it comes to conduct and conversation, gentleness is a sign of walking in the Spirit. If you remember and recall the list of what Paul said in Galatians 5, 23, about the fruit of the Spirit and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, all of these things. The actions of a wise person will demonstrate gentleness in both conduct and in speech. And after providing those negative examples of what wisdom is going to look like, verse 14, 15, 16, we see a completely different type of wisdom in verse 17 and verse 18. He starts out verse 17 with the word, but. There are times in Scripture where you see a word and you're thankful that it's there. This is one of those times when you get to this part of the book of James and after you see what the world's wisdom looks like in 14 and 15 and 16, I'm thankful that that word is there to start verse 17 because it's going to show us a different way. 
It's going to show us a different path that we can walk if we choose to walk with the wisdom from above. He says there, but the wisdom from above. And he then lists off eight different things in verse 17 about what wisdom looks like. Wisdom from above. A wisdom not given to us by this world, but a wisdom that is given to us from above. And the first things that he says, but wisdom from above is first pure. Wisdom from above is pure. You will find no one or nothing more pure than the Lord. None. Nothing. He is the essence. He is the evidence of purity. When we think about what the purest of pure could be, he is purer than any diamond that is, di- that is brought forth from a mine. He is more pure than any, uh, uh, any, any piece of rock that you can lay down as countertop in your house. More pure than that. No blemishes, no spots, no imperfections. Even in the Old Testament sacrifices where they were looking for animals and they, they wanted the animals to be without spot. They wanted the animals to be without blemish. The Lord is even more pure than that. For the purest of pure, for the purest of anything that you've ever seen, the Lord is even more pure than that. I think a bar of soap, you know, you bring out a bar of soap, and it's packaged, and it's in a container, and it looks totally white. But the Lord's even purer than that. Even purer than that. He's not only pure, wisdom from above is not only pure, but as it says there in verse 17, it is also peaceable. It is also peaceable. This concept builds upon what James was already talking about back in chapter 1. one five. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I'm so thankful that when I need wisdom, when you need wisdom, when we need wisdom, I go to the Lord, and He's peaceable about that. Amen? He wants us to tap into His wisdom. Lord, I don't know what to do about this job. I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what to do. My car's broke down six times in the last two months. What do I do with it? You can take all of these things to the Lord. He is peaceable with us. He is gentle with us. He doesn't beat you over the head and say, oh, you ought to have known how to do that. No, he's peaceable with us. He works with us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And the Lord will generously, without reproach, James 1.5 says, give you wisdom. It will be given to us. I have watched hot situations in which tempers were flaring we had people on the other side of the room they didn't get along they argued one looks like they're about ready to get up and walk on out of the room going to have a broken relationship and we say lord why don't we just stop and pray okay let's stop and pray and we just say lord we don't know what to do here there clearly is division there clearly is brokenness. There clearly is a need for reconciliation. But Lord, that's above us. 
Lord, that's above what we can do. We got to have you step in, Lord. You got to move. You got to be the one that's going to come in and step in. And I've watched Jesus come in and diffuse situations, diffuse marital conflicts, diffuse relationships amongst the body of Christ where it looked like they were going to separate and go their own way because we were willing to ask for the wisdom of God. We were willing to ask for Him to come and peace sweeps over the room. A peace that I don't have in me. A peace that you don't have in you. But a peace that comes down from above. That's the type of peace that He wants And desires to give to his people. Desires for us to live in. To walk in today. Gentleness. God's wisdom is going to demonstrate gentleness. Verse 13. He already said that a little bit there. That's that word meekness. That we talked about. That word meekness that we talked about already. Wisdom from above, it's going to be gentle. James is reiterating that concept here. Wisdom from above is going to be open to reason. Open to reason. As it says there in verse 17. When somebody is walking with wisdom from above, they are not going to be argumentative just for argumentative sake. You know, you ever run into people like that? They just want to fight with you for no good reason. They're always mad about something. They always got something that's just, it's just, Lord, get them away from me. Because every time I get near them, they just want to argue and fuss and feud and fight. It's easier to not see them than it is to see them. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so when somebody's walking in wisdom from above, they're not going to be like that. They're going to be somebody you want to be around. They're going to be somebody that you look forward to seeing them when they come. You see that you see their number pop up and they're calling you? Oh, I want to talk to them. They're peaceable. They're open to reason. Even if we disagree with something, we'll be able to work through it. Somebody that's open to reason, if they're presented with additional information, they're presented with additional facts, they will be flexible. They will be willing to change their position if it's warranted to do so. They're not hard-headed. My family's from down south. They're not (laughs) bull-headed. They're open to reason. Wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits, there it says. Verse 17. Someone with wisdom is someone who is able to see and understand who they are in Christ. And that they have been given mercy. And so they want to be a blessing and they want to give mercy on out to somebody else. I think about that parable that Jesus told about a man. He he had a great debt, a large debt. In the ESV it says uh, he was in debt 10,000 bags of gold. Now that's a lot of debt. So he goes to the one that he is in owing to and his creditor and he says, please be merciful to me. Don't throw me in prison. Just give me some time. I'm going to get this debt paid off. I'm going to get this debt paid back. And the creditor was willing to be merciful, was willing to show him time. And so then this man immediately goes out and he sees somebody that owes him a hundred pieces of silver. And he wants to shake him down. Pay me what you owe me. The first creditor said, I showed you so much mercy. 
You couldn't even show this mercy to a brother? You couldn't even show this type of mercy to somebody else? That's not wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is merciful. Wisdom from above shows us that we have been given more. We have been given more than we can ever repay. We sang about it this morning. We've been given and been blessed more than we could ever uh, repay, been blessed more than, we, uh, than, than anything. We have to demonstrate and should show that type of wisdom. Wisdom from above, verse 17 says, is impartial. Impartial. Godly wisdom can look at a situation, see both sides of the coin. See both sides of the coin. It can show justice, yet it can show compassion. That's what godly wisdom looks like. It does not show favoritism to someone based upon how they look or what they do or where they come from. Impartiality. It's able to look past what sometimes the world can't look past to see the truth. Because wisdom from above is going to show you and show me what the truth looks like. Truth that comes from above. Then he says it's sincere. Wisdom from above is sincere. Because a person who's walking in wisdom is going to stand out. They are going to stand in contrast to how our world is. It won't be an act or a show. It's because Christ has transformed them from the inside out. Christ is the one that has made that difference. It won't be an act or a show. They're going to look like how they look like because that's how God has transformed them to look like. Because of Him. Wisdom from above is powerful. And it doesn't have to look like a worldly wisdom. And wisdom creates for us a different path. It creates for us a different place. It creates for us a different avenue by which we could go. Wisdom from above. This leads us to what James says in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. For those, by those who make peace. Sowing a harvest of righteousness. Imagine this becoming who you are. Imagine, I imagine this becoming who I am. That everywhere I go, I want to be somebody that sows peace. I want to give peace away. Everywhere I go. When it's with my kids, whether it's with my wife whether it's with our neighbors, whoever it may be. I want to sow peace everywhere I go. That is countercultural to our society today. Fighting, what can I get, what can I want, gimme, gimme, gimme. But somebody who is sowing peace, they can do some things, church. First off, they can overlook small offenses. You can choose to not be offended about something. Somebody may have wronged you, and it's valid. Depending on what it is, there are times when it's okay to just overlook it. Just let it go. Someone who is sowing peace is willing to forgive others when they've been wronged. And I don't just mean saying the words, I forgive you, but I mean really genuinely living that out. They don't hold it against people anymore. You really forgive somebody, don't bring it up 5, 10, 15 years later. Oh, I remember when you did this years ago. 
You know, and you messed up this way. No, if you've forgiven them, let it go. It's over. It's done. It's finished. Don't use it as leverage against people in the future. Oh, well, you messed up like that before, so yeah, that's why you messed up like that again. That's not how forgiveness works, church. It's not how forgiveness works. Someone who is sowing peace knows not only how to forgive, but also knows how to ask for forgiveness. Whenever one of my boys wrongs his brother, you know how it is when the kids go to apologize. Tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. Don't mean it. Dad, this is stupid. Can I go play again? You know, that's what they want to get to. Or I'm hungry. When you're, what's lunch? You know, that's what they're more concerned with. No, you wronged your brother. You need to ask for forgiveness. You harmed him. You hurt him. No. No. But asking for forgiveness is genuinely owning what you did wrong. I'm sorry for this because without any hesitation, without, but if it would have went down better, then I wouldn't have did that, so I'm sorry that it ended up like this. But if there had been this, then that wouldn't have happened. No, no, no. With no limitations, without excuses, without pretexts, we got to be able to look at one another if we have wronged somebody and say, I'm sorry. This is what I'm sorry for. This is why I'm sorry. I hurt you. I realize I hurt you. I want to I want to make things right and I'm willing to accept the consequences for the actions that are committed. Imagine living this way as a lifestyle, friends. It's a lifestyle of wisdom. But I tell you this, you can't live up to this on your own. I can't live up to this on my own. It takes someone inside of me. And I've alluded to him before. I'm going to tell you about him now. And that's Jesus. Because Jesus is calling all of us today. Jesus is calling us to turn from the life that we had apart from him and to come to him. He has given us the plan of salvation. He has given us the way by which we can receive eternal life. Man sinned, people sinned, people did wrong. We needed a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross for sins that he didn't commit. He went to the cross for your sin. He went to the cross for my sin. And uh, what's more important is that he didn't stay dead. When he died as that sacrifice... He didn't stay dead. He got back up out of that grave. We're going to celebrate it in two weeks on Easter Sunday. Death could not defeat our King Jesus. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him down. And Jesus got up out of the tomb. How do you know that happened? How do you know that happened? Over 500 people saw him. 500 people saw him. I like to tell folks, you know, we got 400 and some representatives in the House of Representatives up in Washington. Got 100 senators, 535 people. You can't get them people to agree on anything. 
You take any group of 500 people, you're not going to get them to completely agree on anything. We got 500 people that saw with their own eyes the risen Lord before he ascended back into heaven. That's not a hallucination. That's not an accident. That's not an excuse. That's reality. That's the truth. That's because it happened. And that's where he is to this day. He went back to heaven, and one day he's going to return. And at his return, every eye is going to see him. Every eye and every ear and every knee will bow and will confess Jesus is Lord. You can either confess him as Lord now and be ready when he comes, or on that day you will confess him as Lord, but it's going to be too late. Worldly wisdom says that you are your own God. That's how people are living. We laid it out for you from the scripture today. But friends, we need Jesus. We need him to transform us, to change us. We all need him. We can't live with wisdom from above unless we know him. And my hope and prayer for you today is that you know him. That you know him like I know him. That you know him like Pastor Gus knows him. Jesus will change your life, and it will be very good. Let's live today as people following the King, living with wisdom from above. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then we can move into uh, whatever is next for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the Word of God, thankful for the truth that we see from the Scriptures. Lord, I'm thankful that we don't have to walk in this world's wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from above. Help us to walk in that wisdom. Help us to walk in the reality and in the light of that truth. And Lord, I pray that if today there's one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day, may this be the hour where they lay aside what it is that they've got planned, their desires, And I pray that they would bow their heart and bow their knee toward you in confession and repentance. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. James, if you can hear me, go up on my desk. And there's a letter up there on my file part. It says pastor on it. Bring that down to me. You enjoyed the message? You think you can leave here a little bit wider?